Spooky Halloween! Hey, I'm Rachel. And I'm Grace. Welcome to the podcast. Myths and Misfortunes. We are a paranormal and true crime podcast. Each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. And or surrounding areas, because it's hard. And or. Yeah. Or. (laughs) This week is our special Halloween episode. Halloween. Spooky. I was about to say spooky dookie. <laughs> I was like, that's not. It rhymes, but that's not the vibe I want to put out there. Are you sure? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> sure. I don't want any of that. Okay. Our sources for the history today were history.com, countryliving.com, and nationalgeographic.com. Halloween takes place on the last day of October. And a little something you might not know is that the word Halloween literally means hallowed evening and was previously known to early European as All Hallows' Eve. Both All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day celebrated the 31st of October and the 1st of November respectively, paid homage to saints. Hallows equals saints. They made the same thing. They made the same thing. So... Halloween originated as the ancient Celtic festival known as Samhain, not Samhain. 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 Samhain was a celebration for early Celts, ending the year because it marked the end of summer and harvest. It was the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of the year that was often associated with human death. So, November 1st marked the beginning of the new year. They believed that the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated, believing that the ghosts of the dead had returned to them for one night only. Celts believed that spirits caused trouble, damaged crops, but also made it easier for druids or Celtic priests to make predictions about the future. These predictions were important to them and a source of comfort and direction during the long, dark winters. The druids would build great big bonfires while the Celts would wear costumes in order to scare away the spirits. In late October, the Romans would celebrate Feralia, commemorating the passing of the dead, and Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. The symbol of Pomona is the apple, and this turned into the tradition of bobbing for apples. All Saints Day is celebrated fairly similarly, with big bonfires, parades, and dressing in costumes. However, these costumes consisted of saints, angels, and devils. Halloween wasn't popularized in America until the Irish fleeing the potato famine helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Also, we feel the need to note that Halloween and Dia de los Muertos, or the Day of the Dead, are not the same. The Day of the Dead is not a Northern European holiday, and although many people do wear costumes and go trick-or-treating, the holiday has nothing to do with Halloween. 
Dia de los Muertos celebrates death as a part of the human experience, and tradition holds that the dead would be offended by grieving and sadness, so festivities honor them with laughter and joy. Part of Dia de los Muertos often involves cleaning and decorating the graves of loved ones, including adding food and candy and celebrating with music and drinks. Now, here are some fun Halloween activities that we may or may not have to try. I actually do really want to try a lot of these. Yeah. Um, the rituals of earlier times evolved into more light-hearted fun and games. The concept of connecting to the dead became telling the future. Bobbing for apples was a popular fortune-telling game on All Hallows' Eve. Apples were selected to represent all of a woman's suitors, and the apple she wound up biting into would represent her future husband. Halloween used to be a big matchmaking opportunity in the 19th century. In Scotland, fortune tellers would recommend that a woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors and then toss the nuts into the fireplace. The nut that burned to ashes, rather than popping or exploding, represented the girl's future husband. In some versions, it was actually the opposite. The nut that burned away symbolized a love that would not last. <laughs> Women would stand in dark rooms in front of mirrors holding candles and looking over their shoulders for their future husband's faces. That's also a little creepy. I know. I don't want to do that one. Uh, well, I don't need to do that. No, so. no, no. no. <clears throat> um, it's like the mutt, the Bloody Mary the thing. Mutt. <laughs> the mutt? No. The Mutty Berry. <laughs> no. No. Bloody Mary. Yes. Yeah. Okay, um, at some parties, the first to find a burr when searching for chestnuts would be the first to marry. Another version of this is the first successful apple bobber would walk down the aisle. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's bob right now. Let's go. Let's now. go. Of course, another tradition is carving pumpkins and watching Halloween movies. Be they horror movies or children's classics, the occult is enjoyed by many in October, which leads into my story. So, I inevitably did murder. I was actually going to do, um, that's what I was going to tell you earlier. I was going to do, uh, like, ghost towns. Mm -hmm. So I was going to focus on one ghost town, which was going to be Bodie, California. It was a real cool... And I wanted to do it, but it didn't seem as Halloween-y or, like, have as much intrigue. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really cool, so I'm, I'm going to end up doing yeah, it eventually. Yeah. You're going to do it. It's it, Yeah, we'll make sure. But instead, I did the Evangelista Occult Murders. Ooh! Hold on. My sources today were AmericanHauntingSync.com, the... 13thfloor.tv, clickondetroit.com, and criticalmoment.org. I'm going to have to look into this clickondetroit.com. I know, right? <laughs> click on Detroit. The Detroit Evangelista Occult Murders has everything. Everything? Black magic, murder, and cults. Kind of. Kind of? Ow. Kind of. Born in Naples, Italy in 1885, Benjamino Evangelista best known as Benny Evangelista, came to America in 1904 and settled in Philadelphia with his brother, Antonio. Hmm. 
but the two had a falling out. Oh no. Antonio disowned Benny when he began to have mystic visions, and seeing as he was very Catholic, he sent Benny to York, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and got him a job on a railroad construction crew. You know, when family... You, I would be thrilled if my <laughs> sisters had mystic visions. What you seeing, bud? Yeah. Let me know. What uh, What can I do to help these mystic visions? Can you give them to me? Can, can I have two or three of them? I mean, just, just Is ask it. selfish? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, Benny's best friend in New York was another immigrant from Naples, a man named Aurelius Angelino. The two of them began to dabble in the occult. And in 1919, Angelino snapped, and he attacked his family with an axe, killing oh. two of his children. Oh, Jesus. Yep, he was sent to prison. He was sent to a prison for the criminally insane, and Benny moved to Detroit because he was extremely freaked out. I don't blame him. Yeah, right? Mm. Like, if you freaked out and killed your entire family. I don't want to be around you. Yeah. No, no, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm. I mean, if they were all, like, extremely abusive and have you locked in a cellar and that was the only way you could get out, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. But I can't think of another reason. No. 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 So, immigrants from around the world flocked to Detroit hoping to achieve the American dream in the factories that have brought the city so many jobs. Sadly, many of them found overcrowded wooden tenements, brutal working conditions, and death. However, once in Detroit... Benny avoided the working conditions many other immigrants faced and went to work as a carpenter, invested in real estate, and soon emerged as a prosperous realtor and landlord. Oh, and he wow. got married. Oh, good for him. Yeah. I don't know that. I can't even do any of that. <laughs> so. Same. Eventually, he returned to his interest in the occult. Then he began performing psychic healings on those who paid him his fees, which went as high as $10, which back then was the equivalent of two days' pay on the assembly line. Yikes. So, making the Yikes. bank yeah, for that time. Banks. He did quite well for himself and moved his wife and children to a house at the corner of St. Alban and Mack Avenues. Inside the basement... Benny built his Great Celestial Planet exhibition using paper mache, wires, and wood. And he had built nine planets and a sun with an electric eye that sat in the center. Hmm. Doesn't sound too weird at this point, right? Well, no, I'm actually very intrigued by the Celestial... Uh... Planet, Planet exhibition? Yeah. 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 That sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, also in the basement, Benny practiced his infernal rituals. Infernal or Inferno? Infernal. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he mixed up spells, hexes, potions, and carried out magical sacrifices. He kept a crude altar along with knives, bottles, and jars. He stacked copies of his book, self-published, and it was self-published in 1926, uh, titled The Oldest History of the World Discovered by Occult Science in Detroit, Michigan. It was just lying around the room. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Benny was said to have produced the book through a series of nightly trances claiming to have been guided by various deities from several religions who would only speak to him between midnight and 3 a.m. The witching hour. Right. Yeah. Demons. Demons. 
He said it was the first in a series of four books that would reveal previously unknown information relayed to him from God. He was a self-proclaimed divine prophet, and the basement served as church for the sermons he preached to his cult. Yay! <laughs> church basement. Based on this Bible, he, which he called The Sun, he formed this cult, which he dubbed the Great Union Federation of America. Services were held at the St. Alban home. Italian immigrants from all over the Midwest actually followed his religion and sought the remedies Evangelista prescribed at a small fortune. Small fortune. On the morning of July 4th, the Detroit Free Press broke the horrific story of the Evangelista murders. Ooh. Uh, a man named Vincent Elias had come to Benny's home on July 3rd about 10.30 a.m. to discuss a real estate deal. He had been the one who discovered the bodies and alerted the police. Nearly the entire Detroit Homicide Division was dispatched immediately to the crime scene. When police arrived, they searched the house and made some notes. How many bodies were there? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'm sorry, that's what I'm caught on. He stumbled upon bodies. How many bodies? I'll get there eventually, I promise. (laughs) When the police arrived, they searched the house and made notes of some odd things they found. Ooh. Inside the home, they found Benny Evangelista seated behind his desk. His hands were neatly folded in his lap as though in prayer. His head, though, was at his feet lying on the floor. He was beheaded. Yeah. Okay. No, I was just really good at stretching. <laughs> I don't know he's, how he relaxed He's really good at hands. yoga. Yeah, man. He's it's like, just, um, Elastigirl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go Elastigirl Benny. Yes. <laughs> Upstairs they found... Oh, not so funny anymore. <laughs> no. Upstairs they found Mrs. Santina... Evangelista and their children, Mario, 18 months, Angelina, 7, Margaret, 5, and Jean, 4. Santina was in the bed with the baby Mario. Her head had been severed, and Mario's skull was crushed. Across the hall, the other children had been slaughtered in their beds. Yeah, that part wasn't funny. Whoever this is is an asshole, and I hope they caught them. Yeah, so... You don't well, kill babies. Right. Just, that's so fucked don't kill up. Like, babies. I don't know, you gotta be in to, uh, mm. It's fucked up. One of the strangest discoveries was that someone had surrounded Benny's severed head with three large framed photographs of a child in a coffin. Mm-hmm. It was later determined to be a post-mortem photograph of Benny's son who had died several years before. There was no explanation as what the message the photograph was trying to convey, but the newspaper noted some other odd discoveries. Several pieces of women's undergarments, each tagged with the name of its owner. Police said that in practices of voodoo or devil worship, such garments can lead to the finding of a missing person when they're properly handled by someone versed in the mystic arts of that belief. Okay, yeah. that's a little creepy. I mean, well, okay. It's creepy in general, but... Yeah. No one has any clue as to what that meant either, so it wasn't long before rumors spread that Benny's occult practices had caused his death. Mm. Uh, The police failed to keep newspaper reporters and dozens of citizens who gathered around the house from contaminating the crime scene, which is so typical of crimes back then Mm -hmm. that it's why they they hardly ever got any evidence, because they didn't have proper, like... 
procedure. Yeah. Um, like sanctioning off procedures. Yeah. Like like anyone could just walk in, la di da, touch really walls. Could. They they could literally touch anything. So I don't, I don't know how they caught anybody ever. Luck. Oh, maybe. There was one potential clue, a bloody fingerprint on the doorknob. However, most of Benny's neighbors and clients were recent Sicilian and Italian immigrants who weren't too forthcoming with police and wouldn't provide any information. Detectives weren't able to get any of them to make an official statement that would have provided at least some starting point to launch their investigation from. Benny's own records and the collection of personal trinkets found in the home proved that hundreds of people had come to him for services. But barely any of those questioned admitted to even having known him. Hmm. I mean, I mean which wow. is very understandable at the time because yeah, they were all immigrants. Which well, and also people very... were people were a little wary of the occult. That too. Yeah. Yeah, and this is even before the Satanic Panic. Oh yeah. Wait, when was that? Eighties. Oh. Oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Eighties. It was in the seventies. Was it originated in the 1970s and gained traction during the 80s and 90s? Okay, so I was right. The 70s. We were both right. Close. (laughs) The police used what few clues they had to pursue some very interesting theories. One of them was based on notes found in the home that suggest that Benny had once been threatened by the Black Hand. Hey. Yeah. Which was a criminal group that preyed on the wealthy Italian immigrants. The most recent letter was six months old and read, This is your last chance. The problem with this theory, though, is that by 1929, it was pretty much an outdated and defunct group that evolved into, like, a mafia structure. So, like, extortion schemes were something that just weren't done anymore. They, like, it was just old news. Yeah. Why do that when you just... (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. Yeah. It seems unlikely that Benny took the notes very seriously. Whoever was trying to extort money from him was probably an amateur looking for an easy mark, not someone who could have actually murdered an entire family. Mm. Yeah. And yet they did. Well, they don't know that it was the same person. It's very likely. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Entirely Well, it was possible. six months old and it said it was your last chance. Six months. They procrastinated. <laughs> <laughs> like we did. Look, procrastinating a podcast and building a desk or whatever, it's not the same as procrastinating killing someone. I mean, Are you maybe, sure? you know, maybe it is. Get get all the materials and, you know. You gotta go to multiple different locations, buy the stuff that you need using mm-hmm. cash, make sure that they don't have any cameras, or if they do, make sure they're pointed in the opposite direction. The second theory is more plausible. A 42-year-old man named Umberto Teccio had visited the Evangelista's home the night before the bodies were found. He was making the final payment on a house Benny had sold him. Teccio, along with a friend named Angelo DiPoli, who had accompanied him that night, were brought in for questioning the next day when an axe, a keen-edged banana knife... What's a banana knife? That sounds familiar. I don't know. I'll look it up later. If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. And a pair of suspiciously clean work boots were found in the barn. That's true. Yeah, work boots are not supposed to be clean. If you got clean work boots, I don't trust you, bud. I don't trust you, (laughs) bud. (laughs) That's Kentucky for you. Okay. Tetion DePoli claimed to know nothing about the murders. They both stated that nothing unusual had happened during the visit and that they had gone out drinking after dropping off the last payment on Tetion's home to Evangelista. But the newspapers, 
because of prejudice against Italian immigrants, cast suspicion on Tetsuo. Of course they did. Right. Ugh. Rude. <clears throat> Rude. Just like people. Like, you know? I know. You know. I know. You know. And so do you, listener. Apparently, just three months pro- Oh, you know what? It's probably warranted that this guy was uh, a, s- a suspect. What? Apparently, just three months prior to the massacre, Tetchio had stabbed his brother-in-law to death in an argument. How he escaped prosecution for that is unclear, but it gave investigators a reason to make him a suspect. Also, Napoli was arrested the day of the murder with a bloody knife. Oh, okay. But they couldn't really connect him to a family, at least in a way, not in a way that gave him a motive. Despite the neighbors saying that he frequented the family home. <laughs> so, I mean, he, no, no motive. But, you know, he... <clears throat> but bloody knife. I'm... Bloody knife, yes. <clears throat> <clears throat> but neither one of their fingerprints matched the bloody fingerprint on the doorknob. Oh, well, then definitely not, sorry. However, with no physical evidence and no confession, Tetchio and Dipoli were let go. Okay. Yeah. So the police also briefly suspected one of Evangelista's tenants who was A, dead, and B, <laughs> accused of murder by vengeful ex-wife, but the dead man's thumbprint didn't match the bloody fingerprint on the doorknob, which brings us to a third theory. Hmm. Because you didn't have so many before. In 1923, Benny's old friend Aurelius Angelino, who murdered two of his children with an axe, mm-hmm. escaped from the Pennsylvania prison for the criminally insane where he was incarcerated. Oh. And he was never seen again. Well, <clears throat> that has some meat behind that theory. Yeah. So, but, so the police seem to have invested most of their time in the pursuit of Tetchio, but looking back after more than 80 years since the crime... The nature of the crime itself seems to convince a lot of people that it was Angelino. Mm-hmm. The murders seem to closely match the crime Angelino committed back in New York, and it's not hard to imagine him slowly making his way west to Detroit and finally tracking down his old partner in voodooism, which was the code word for occult activities that oh, the police and the newspapers used in that day. Voodooism. In those days. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Back in that day. Back in that day. You know, <laughs> that specific day. And yet, after Angelino's escape from the state of Pennsylvania's custody in 1923, no record of his existence can be found. Nothing. He just dropped off the map. Yeah. I always hate that, how people can just, like, kill people and drop off the face of the earth. Also, how? I mean, at that time, it probably wasn't too difficult. But like, nowadays, it's being super... People do it, though. I don't know how. Another suspect was a man by the name of Robert Harris, who is also the founder of his own Detroit-based cult and already in jail for murder. Hmm. Uh, On November 20th, 1932, police found the body of James J. Smith tied to a crudely built altar and stabbed through the heart with a silver knife. Harris claimed that Smith was a willing sacrifice and had offered himself to Harris as such. However, the fact that Harris had to knock Smith out with a wagon axle before stabbing him threw suspicion on that claim. (laughs) After his arrest, Harris declared himself to be a king and revealed his plans to kill several more people, including Detroit's mayor. Oh, good, yeah, good, okay, good good thinking. Yeah, Um, because you know, kings can kill mayors. I mean, what? Yeah. 
Although Harris had originally confessed to the Evangelista killings too, the fingerprints found at the scene didn't match his. He was quickly ruled out as not the Evangelista killer and just as wanting to promote his own religion. Hmm. So, after all this time, all those suspects, they have nobody. Oh, why you got to give me an unsolved? <laughs> it's Halloween. How unfulfilling. I know. Some people say that it was all of his occult work that created some sort of energy or brought forth something that wanted to end him. Sure, and this energy just whacked off his head. Yeah, or it possessed somebody and did it. Well, that's more likely. But also, no. But it was most likely his old friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, several years ago, Evangelista's home on St. Albans Street was demolished, and all that remains now is an empty lot that hasn't been used since. There are those that say the site is haunted. I heard voices. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because they say there are disembodied screams heard on occasion and even worse, a headless man who walks the lot and then vanishes. Lovely. Thanks for just tying in the disembodied (laughs) screams to my own house. Thank you. Happy Halloween, bitches. (laughs) Okay, well, okay, your story is going to give me nightmares. (laughs) It's fun. Disembodied heads. I just think it's so weird how they, like, decapitated him, sat it down on his feet, put all those pictures there, and had him, like, calmly sitting there at his desk. Very ritualistic. Yeah, but it's gotta be something having to do with his kid, right? Because that's what what the pictures were. Not necessarily, because what if those were the only pictures that he had, like, on his desk? Well, they, they said they were, like, large framed photos. I don't think that they okay, were... Okay, but also a large framed photo. Why, okay, why would he have post-mortem pictures of his dead son's body in a coffin on his desk? Because Rachel. he wasn't he wasn't quite over the death of his little boy, so who puts those pictures on their desk like that? No one nowadays. I mean, people used to take pictures of their children like but that was like in the coffin. People would take pictures of like their family members posed with them, mm-hmm. but not have like pictures of them in their coffins. Well, yeah, but I mean I can't logic this. Okay. <laughs> just... I, there is no logic. It was just... a demon. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I don't, it just came out of nowhere. Okay. Uh, well, that's my story. What you got? My story for this amazing and wonderful holiday is the one and only town that has been the home to the set of Disney's Halloween Town since 1998. Yay, I cried at this a couple weeks ago. Well, the <laughs> movie, not the story. Oh, uh, St. Helens, Oregon. Just a little bit about St. Helens first. St. Helens, Oregon? Oregon? Yeah, okay. Oregon. I thought you meant, like, Oregon, like, in Oregon. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes, St. Helens, Oregon. <clears throat> do, well. do, do, do. No, just a little bit about St. Helens first. It was founded way back in 1845 and was originally known as Plymouth. It was then changed in 1850 to St. Helens due to its view of Mount St. Helens in Washington, only 39 miles away. Pretty good view. Oh yeah, gorgeous view. St. Helens is a riverport town on the Columbia River and was actually a stop along the Lewis and Clark expedition. Every year on Halloween, this amazing town embraces Halloween fully. They often recreate the decorations from the Halloween Town movies and even have a pumpkin lighting ceremony every Saturday in October. That's so cool. Now I feel like I should have done something more Halloween-y <laughs> instead of occult black magic and unsolved murder. 
Okay, but that's as Halloween-y as it gets. In 1910, a building called the St. Helens Hotel opened for business off the banks of Columbia River. I should have done a Halloween murder. I searched. I couldn't find many. I know there are some, but I couldn't find any. In 1910, a building called the St. Helens Hotel opened for business off the banks of the Columbia River. Located at 71 Cowlitz Street, the St. Helens Hotel became a frequent boarding spot for workers of the shipyards and logging industries. There are not many records regarding possible deaths in the building. However, one documented death is that of 24-year-old Gilbert Wiley Quartz, who had overdosed in chloroform. I'm sorry. Corpse? Quartz. 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 Like, like the rock. Crystal. Okay. Yeah. Apparently. Sorry, I thought you said corpse. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fucking ironic. <laughs> Apparently, the maid had come up in order to clean the room. When she found the door was locked, she then saw the body by looking over the transom. The transom is that part that's usually like covered in glass above doors. Oh, okay. She looked through it? She's being a total creep. Or I don't, I don't know. Or she just. Maybe the door was blocked or couldn't open? Yeah, well, it was locked, and I guess maybe she thought that the person wasn't oh, supposed to be there. okay, okay. Yeah, the door was locked. She looked over to the transom. She saw the body. This, actually, I wasn't able to verify. I actually got this information from the TV show called Paranormal State, but I'm sure, you know, they actually had access to more records than I'm able to pull using Google. Fair, but you can just use them. <laughs> So, I'm just going to use them, yeah. Oh, right, my sources. By the way, my sources here are the TV show called Paranormal State, Wikipedia, KXL.com, OregonHaunts.blogspot.com. Organ? Organ. Like, body organ? No! (laughs) I'm going to fuck with you the whole time. It's great. Oh, jeez. PamplinMedia.com, Profound.blogspot.com, OregonLive.com, TDN. How many you got? Last one. Oh. TDN.com. Look, I had to copy and paste a lot of information together. A lot of these were saying a lot of the same thing. It was just the bits and pieces that were different. There have been many different experiences in this place. Apparently, on top of the current owners, Previous staff and even guests of the old St. Helens Hotel would hear voices. According to one of the past owners, Ronnie Bartlett, the voices aren't loud. Many would hear their names being whispered to them. Other times, a little boy has been heard and seen sitting at the bar asking for his father. First of all, how creepy. I don't like that. Yeah. Well, also, a little girl has been heard in the upstairs rooms asking for her mother. So you've got a little boy and a little girl both asking for their parents, which is super depressing. That makes me so sad. (laughs) Me too. Several of the past workers even claimed that the radio would adjust its volume of its own accord. Like, Hmm. just go up and down and up and down. There are also reports of appliances starting up on their own and pictures falling from their places on the wall, shattering on the ground. A blender coming on when I'm cleaning it is my worst fear. (laughs) Power surge. But, you know, normal people just unplug shit, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah. Dave Wolitt life and business partner of Ronnie Bartlett would also hear voices. One time while he was working downstairs in the cellar, he heard footsteps coming down the stairs. When he looked towards the door where the sounds were coming from, he saw a shadow just standing there. Mm. However, when he turned to confront the figure, he realized that he was all alone. I thought you were going to say he was the figure. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be something, right? That'd be worse, I think. (laughs) 
he saw his doppelganger. There are also sightings of an older man in plaid who likes to sit in the booths of the restaurant, not really bothering anyone, just sitting there. People have been seen moving behind upstairs windows, like if you're looking from outside up. Mm. Here's the kicker, though. The upstairs isn't in use. Oh. Yeah. In one instance, a police officer encountered the bodiless apparition of a man in front of the building. Only the man's torso and head were there. Just levitating. Like, just, ooh. Yeah, so I'm just <laughs> thinking from, like, like here up. Boob up. <laughs> Some employees have felt taps on their shoulders, only to turn around and find no one behind them. There have been reports of a woman screaming in the basement. Ooh. This was later said by a psychic to be a woman who miscarried and is mourning for her unborn child. Yikes. Heavy doors have unlatched on their own. Kitchen pots have started swinging on the hooks by themselves. Even pockets of cold air have been reported upstairs. A former owner had told the new owner that as she had been climbing the stairs of the basement, something grabbed her ankle. Mm, nope. Absolutely not. Yeah, so, you know, nightmare material right there. I, I hate stairs. I don't like that. I hate Especially stairs that are that completely they, yeah, open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're just worst. I can like, I might be fine if they're like see through, where I can like see that through, no. like like through the actual steps. No, be fine. Like if I could see, but if like, oh, you mean if the steps were clear? Yeah, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like glass steps. Except I hate glass steps because I always feel like I'm gonna fall through them and like get oh, impaled yeah. and die. But if I I feel like if I could see through them, they were just really strong plastic. I'd be fine. But I can't do the steps where like anybody could reach through and grab your feet your ankle oh, yeah because something can and will grab your ankle and pull you to <laughs> it the it will. Hell. it's inevitable <laughs> it is inevitable yes <laughs> also one employee somehow became locked in the bathroom and couldn't open the door until another employee came to help her after finally getting out they couldn't see anyone in the hallway who might have been holding the door shut at one point, one of the owners had been in the restaurant early in the morning and had seen the bathroom door just swinging right open. Mm. When he got up to check, he found no one in there. So, recap. Haunted upstairs, haunted basement, haunted bathroom, haunted kitchen. Kind of haunted. Haunted <clears throat> up there, haunted down there. It's haunted everywhere. Yes, it is. There was a former kitchen manager of the restaurant who, one morning, was found brandishing a knife and stomping around the kitchen... Of the empty, locked restaurant. What? He had heard people running up and down the stairs, jumping up and down, and raising all kinds of hell on the floor right above the door where the entry was. I don't like that. Mm -mm. So, when I got around to watching the episode of Paranormal State, where they investigated the Klondike restaurant, mm. which is what the hotel turned into after the okay. hotel closed. It did seem as if the team had had a few experiences. When Ryan Buell and his team first walked up the stairs to the blocked off second floor, he saw what he thought was an apparition. Before he could fully confirm what he was seeing, it vanished. Lorraine Warren, rest in peace, Aww. was there on the investigation with him and she had verified what he saw. In an interview they had with some of the employees, employees frequently hear their names being called. They turn around corners and suddenly see someone there, and then they're gone. Drinking glasses also are known for exploding. Oh, that's fun. Very Expensive. Fun. On top of that, rude. when they're holding them and they go, Pfft. Ow. Mm -hmm. Knowing that the employees tend to have most of the experiences, 
the PRS team, which is Paranormal State, works for the Klondike restaurant for that one night before starting their investigation. <laughs> so they can, like, get used to the ghosts? Well, because the employees tend to have all the experiences. Experience? Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. So Katrina, who was one of the most experienced members, was sent to the basement where most of the employees' experiences happened. That's fun. <laughs> As she was going downstairs, she heard a man following her down the stairs. No. Right? Creepy. And then, as she was working down there, she then heard this man sneeze. No! loud. So, of course, being the investigator she is, she looks around and there's no one down there. Don't look me. Sneezing ghost. Woo! During... Not only that, but that, that it's like a man. Well, yeah, that it's an unnoticeable man sneezing. Following you down the stairs. Yeah. During their investigation, each of the team members experienced being poked and hearing voices. I think I really appreciated this episode so much because the investigators did not freak out when they heard or saw anything. Oh. But, you know, you think about ghost adventures. <laughs> you think about, um... <laughs> Even several episodes of Ghost Hunters, mm, people people think, tend to freak out. Yeah, I was trying to think of a, a show like that. All I got was Paranormal Activity, and that's not right. <laughs> well, they do freak out. Yeah, yes. that's true. They didn't freak out when they heard or saw anything. They just kind of calmly walked and got another team member to try and validate everything that they had seen or heard. I like that. Yeah, it's very, uh, very professional. That's good. One last little tidbit of information here. During one of the showings of the building last time it was for sale, during a tour of the upper floors, the prospective buyer approached an old wardrobe in one of the rooms. He briefly inspected it and then stepped away, at which point the wardrobe then teetered forward and fell on the floor, narrowly missing this guy who had just been looking at it. Ghosts are fucking rude. Very rude. And upon further inspection, they found that the floor was completely stable and that there was no reason for the wardrobe to just fall over completely. Yeah, I'd never go back there. Never in a million years. So, I know that my story wasn't necessarily Halloween-related. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It it does place take place in the Halloween town. I mean, I can't really talk. Mine didn't happen on <laughs> Halloween. It didn't have any real ghosts or anything which is black magic occult stuff and yours is ghosts so that's true okay yeah. but occult is also very halloween driven weird so we're ghosts <laughs> smack you <laughs> no but just like you know like we said in the intro i mean i always we did watch. talk about all this really um interesting stuff about salwin and then like mm-hmm. Went straight to the occult and then to Disney. (laughs) Hey, we brought it back around. It's happy now, guys. We made a nice full circle. Oh, I did did want to say that in the last episode I said that my mother and father met on the highway. I need to correct this. I mean, they did, but it was my dad driving his car with his friend and my mom was in the back of the pickup truck with her friend. And then, like, they saw each other, and then they both ended up at the mall, and they met there, and then my dad asked out my mom's friend. (laughs) Didn't uh, even ask out the right person. Right. I mean, they ended up together eventually, so. So, we have got uh, social media and email now. 
We're still working on the website. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Adkins. Their websites can both be found in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>